All right, friends, now it is time for us to open up God's Word together. Uh, This morning, we're going to be continuing in our series on Exodus. So if you have your Bibles with you, please turn with me to Exodus 5. We're going to be looking at Exodus 5, verse 1, all the way through Exodus 6, verse 13 this morning. So by way of recap of uh, over the past few weeks, what we've seen in Exodus, we've seen God appear to Moses in the wilderness and tell him to return to Egypt and speak to Pharaoh. God has told Moses that he is going to use Moses to be his messenger, to be an instrument in God's hand to ultimately deliver the Israelites from their 400 years of slavery to Pharaoh. And although Moses has been doubtful of his own ability to effectively deliver God's message, he has ultimately obeyed God and returned to Egypt. And the last section we saw right before this text this morning starts, we saw at the very end of chapter 4, Moses comes and delivers God's word of deliverance to the Israelites, and they respond with hope. They're worshiping God for the deliverance that he is promising to bring. So as we're coming into this passage this morning, we're really coming in on a high note. Momentum is building. Things are happening. Moses has found the courage to go and the Israelites have found hope in the message and they're worshiping God. And now it is time for the face-to-face confrontation to begin. God's messenger is going to come to deliver God's message to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And the question is, what's going to happen next? So that's what we're going to see this morning. We're going to read our text today, which again is Exodus 5, verse 1 through 6, verse 13. Read with me, please. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, The God of Israel, let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with the pestilence or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land are now many, and you make them rest from their burdens? The same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen, You shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of bricks that they made in the past, you shall impose upon them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry, let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. Let heavier work be laid on the men, that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. So the taskmasters and the foremen of the people went out and said to the people, Thus says Pharaoh, I will, give you, I will not give you straw. 
Go and get your straw yourselves wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced in the least. So the people were scattered throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. The taskmasters were urgent, saying, Complete your work, your daily task each day, as when there was straw. And the foremen of the people of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, Why have you not done all your tasks of making bricks today and yesterday as in the past? Then the foremen of the people of Israel came to Pharaoh. Why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants, yet they say to us, make bricks. And behold, your servants are beaten, but the fault is in your own people. But he said, you are idle. You are idle. That is why you say, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Go now and work. No straw will be given to you, but you must still deliver the same number of bricks. The foremen of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble when they said, you shall by no means reduce your bricks, your number of bricks, your daily task each day. They met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them and they came, as they came out from Pharaoh and they said to them, the Lord look on you and judge because you made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak your name, he has done evil to this people and you have not delivered your people at all. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand, he will send them out. And with a strong hand, he will drive them out of this, his land. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groanings of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say, therefore, to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. So the Lord said to Moses, go in, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, 
and gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, to bring the people of Israel out of the land. Friends, would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, as we come before your word this morning and we consider these things, Lord, Lord, I ask that you would help me to speak words that are true, that you would help us all to understand the hope that we can find in who you are. Lord, that you would help us to see how this text speaks of your power and how this text speaks to us in our own circumstances and gives us hope. So would you do that this morning, I pray, in the name of Jesus, amen. As we look at the passage before us today and we consider where we've been, it's safe to say that how these events unfold is unexpected to everyone involved. All the momentum has been steadily moving in a positive direction only to come to a screeching halt in this passage. If this story were a piece of music, it would be as though the theme had suddenly shifted from a triumphant anthem to a chaotic dirge, and no one is ready for it. The Israelites go from hope to despair. Moses goes from courage to doubt. And the only one who seems to be in power in this passage is Pharaoh. God has promised to deliver his people, but it seems that Pharaoh still has the upper hand over them. And the passage draws our attention to this question. Can God make good on his promise to rescue Israel from, this, from their slavery? This passage is going to give us the opportunity to reflect on our own reality as followers of Jesus. Because although we have been saved by Jesus, we are still living in the reality of a world that is in every way tainted by the sinful effects of the fall. We see in the world around us injustice, suffering, sickness, and death. We see within us the battle between obedience to Christ and submission to the sinful desires that remain in us. And at times, it seems as though God's promises are so far away that we wonder if they will ever really be true. How do we trust in God when we live in this state of delayed deliverance, in a state of waiting Here's what I trust this passage is going to show us this morning. When our deliverance is delayed, our hope relies on God's unchangeable character and commitments. When our deliverance is delayed, our hope relies on God's unchangeable character and commitments. And we're going to consider this passage in three parts this morning. First, we're going to look at the despair of unrelenting hardship. And then we're going to look at the doubt of unexpected delay. And last, we're going to turn to the dependability of our unchanging God. So let's dive in. The first part of this passage shows us the despair of unrelenting hardship. The majority of the situation that we find ourselves in is given to us in chapter 5. 
And we see that this chapter all begins with Moses' initial confrontation with Pharaoh. And this is significant because up to this point, the way God has moved in the situation has been a covert operation. He's been working behind the scenes and apart from Pharaoh, even being aware that he's there or doing anything. But now, God is bringing himself, in a sense, out into the open before Pharaoh by sending his message to Pharaoh through Moses, who is acting as his prophet. And so Moses speaks God's command to Pharaoh in verse 1. Verse 1 says, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. In this simple message, God is making two claims on Pharaoh. First, that God has the authority to command the king of Egypt. And second, that the people of Israel belong to God and not to Pharaoh. So how does Pharaoh respond? We see in verse 2 that Pharaoh openly dismisses God's authority both over him and God's ownership over Israel. So he says in verse 2, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. Pharaoh's response is so stark and dismissive that it's as though Moses and Aaron are coming to him and saying, God says you must do this, and his response to Moses is, Who is that? But as Moses and Aaron persist and they plead with Pharaoh in verse 3, we see Pharaoh's response turn from dismissal to derision. He responds to Moses in verses 4 and 5 by essentially saying, Why are you wasting everyone's time? Get back to work. You must not have enough work to be asking for a break like this. And then to add insult to injury, Pharaoh then goes out and lays an even heavier burden on the Israelites. So we see in verse 6 through 9 that he tells his taskmasters to make sure that the Israelites continue to produce the same amount of bricks, but without one of the key ingredients, straw. Instead of being supplied the straw, he's telling them to go out and get them themselves. So what this would have been like as he's telling him this is it would have been like um, straw at that time was a key component to allowing the brick to stick together. The mortar and the straw would be put together to make the brick. So what he's doing is he's adding a huge burden to the Israelites. And verses 9 and 10 really give us the key to understanding the Pharaoh's thoughts and motivations as he does this. So in verse 9, at the end of this decree, he says, and pay no regard to lying words. This indicates a very rejection of the existence of the Lord. But then in verse 10, he mirrors the authority of the Lord by beginning his decree with, thus says Pharaoh, which echoes what Moses began with in verse 1 when he came to Pharaoh and said, thus says the Lord. In doing so, Pharaoh is making plain that he will not take orders from anyone, but that he is the one in control of the Israelite situation. It's important for us to remember that the role that Pharaoh represents in this story, 
Because not only is he the king of Egypt, he also represents the power and influence of Satan on earth. His kingdom stands in opposition to the righteous reign and rule of the Lord on earth. And what we see here is that the intent of this added burden on Israel is to break their spirit. And we see in the following verses that there really is the effect that it has. We see in verses 10 through 21 that things for the Israelites go from bad to worse. And it brings on them a new level of hardship and suffering. Pharaoh's order here seems not only to be unreasonable, but irrational. Doing this to the Israelites would not only slow down the production of the Israelites, but Pharaoh, in doing so, is literally hurting his own industry. But what's more, what he's doing is also immensely cruel. Because when the Israelites inevitably fail to meet his increased demand, the foremen of their crews are beaten for being unable to keep up. As we think about this situation, it's as though if tomorrow Jeff Bezos were to come to the Amazon warehouse and say, hey guys, we're going to continue guaranteeing two-day shipping to everybody, and we're going to continue to keep the same order level, but we're going to make sure that we make all our deliveries by bicycle. And then, when inevitably that fails and they can't keep up their quota, he then tries to force everybody to take a pay cut to, when, when that production falls off a cliff. See, Pharaoh's here, his intention is to break Israel's spirit. And what we see in the text is that it works. After pleading with Pharaoh in verses 15 through 19 that they're being treated unjustly by his servants, Pharaoh turns them away and reiterates his cruel edict. And now, remember the faith and confidence that the Israelites had at the end of chapter 4? Well, that hope is completely gone now. And they turn an accusatory eye to God's messengers, Moses and Aaron. Look at verses 20 and 21 with me. It says, They met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh. And they said to them, The Lord look on you and judge, because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants, and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. The Israelites here have completely taken their eyes off hope of deliverance, and instead they see a sword in Pharaoh's hand to doom them. And they're so utterly weighed down by this burden that we see them completely lose hope. Exodus 6 verse 9, which we read, tells us that when Moses comes and delivers God's message to the people of Israel, it says this in Exodus 6 9, Moses spoke to, thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. Friends, what we're dealing with here is an intense example of the hardships that we all face living in a fallen world. We live our days under the influence of the enemy, and because of sin, we live in the unrelenting effects of the fall that make everything in our lives harder. And while it's true that we all live in the same fallen world, it also seems to be true that this fallenness does not seem to affect us all equally or all at the same time. Some of us experience 
suffering or sickness or pain at a level that often is just basically a nuisance or it's manageable or it's temporary. But for others of us, our suffering seems to be life-defining, pervasive, chronic, and with no apparent end in sight. And there are times when we are in the midst of these broken realities and that the hardships seem to suffocate for us any hope or joy, where anxiety and depression and fear can become the defining realities of our existence. And like the Israelites, we find ourselves in a place where we can't even hear God's message of hope because of our own broken spirit. And friends, I fear that some of us, even in this room today, can relate to the Israelites in this. You want to find hope in God's word. You want to have peace. You want to have joy, but you feel like the hardships of what you're experiencing are breaking your spirit. And it seems in this moment like God can't break into where you are. My friend, as I've been studying this passage you have been on my heart this morning in a particular way. And my prayer for you is that as you continue to listen here and to study this passage with me, the reality of God would open your ears to hear his eternal word. That the beauty of who God is would open your eyes to see him with clarity. And that his love and care for you, even in the here and now, would be a felt reality for you here today. At this point, let's turn to the next part of our passage, which is the doubt of unexpected delay. And here we want to look at the end of chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. And before we do, let's set the picture here. Moses comes to Pharaoh, and he brings God's message. And rather than that, bringing deliverance to the Israelites, it only adds to their burden. And so they come to Moses as God's representative. And they say, why did you even come? You made everything harder for us. And now Pharaoh is going to kill us. And what we see in this section is that Moses begins to internalize these doubts and accusations. And so we see here that he turns to the Lord and he brings the accusations of the Israelites, as well as his own disappointments to God. So let's look at verses 22 and 23. It says, Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. I want to consider these words in three parts this morning. First, I want to begin by pointing out that Moses' response gives us a very admirable example in that the first thing he does is he turns to the Lord. He brings his discouragement and his troubles to God in prayer. And this is an example that the scriptures give us over and over when our hearts are troubled and we're wrestling with disappointment and discouragement, the scriptures model for us, especially in the Psalms, that we can and should come before God and bring our troubles to him. 
But the second thing we want to see here as we see Moses unfold his heart before the Lord is that we see the essential question he's asking is, why are you allowing this evil to happen? And in that, we see his complaint to the Lord echo Israel's complaint to him. As I thought about this, it reminded me of an orchestra. When Mary and I dated in college, she was a music major, so I spent a lot of time with classical musicians in the music building. And one of the things I learned was especially for stringed instruments in an orchestra, in order to have all the instruments in tune, what you do is you tune all the instruments to one note from one instrument. So what that means is if that one instrument is in any way out of tune, the whole orchestra is going to be off from itself. What I see in this passage, I see the way Moses responds. I cannot help but think that we see Moses, rather than tuning to God's word and God's promises, he's tuning to the complaints of, of the Israelites. He's tuning to the apparent reality that is before him, rather than the eternal reality that God gives him. And we really see this in the next part. When he comes before the Lord and he says, you have not delivered your people at all. What he's saying here is he's looking at, the, at, at his circumstances and he's saying, Lord, you said you would deliver the people of Israel from slavery, but things have only gotten worse and we are still in slavery. What Moses is wrestling with here is the gap between how, God ex how he expected God would deliver Israel from the situation and what's going on. He's wrestling with God's apparent delay. And here's the thing. As we think about this, on the surface level, it might make sense to us. Because what it looks like in this moment is that Pharaoh is the only one with power. But all we have to do is go back a couple chapters in the text and we start having questions of Moses's expectations here. Because if we go back to chapter 3, when Moses first encounters God, God reveals himself and gives Moses the mission, and then he tells Moses that Pharaoh is not going to listen to him at first. So Exodus 3 verses 20, 19 and 20 say this, God is speaking to Moses, he says, but I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Israel with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. And this isn't the only time that God prepares Moses for resistance from Pharaoh. Later in chapter 4, verse 21 and 22, God says to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put in your power. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let my people go. So when we see this, we have to ask ourselves, what exactly about this situation has not gone according to the way that God told Moses it would go? And really, the only thing that we can see here is that God hasn't yet done any mighty acts of miracles. The script hasn't changed at all. But because Moses hasn't read Act 2 yet, he starts doubting whether there even is one. And it's here that I think it's vital for us to recognize 
that oftentimes many of our own doubts and our own wrestlings come within the, within the context of our own expectations of how God will fulfill his promises to us. And this highlights for us just how vital it is for us to be devoted to knowing and understanding God's word. Friends, God will always keep his promises. But the more we know about what those promises actually are, the more we will find peace and hope in him in the midst of delay. But friends, even in that, and even in that challenge, the other thing we need to recognize here is something about God from these verses. Because God actually responds to Moses' complaints here. And when he responds, he doesn't rebuke Moses for asking these questions. And he doesn't dismiss Moses for having these doubts. But rather what God does is gently and kindly reveal himself to Moses and remind Moses of his promises. Which brings us to the last section and the final point that we're going to consider this morning. The dependability of our unchanging God. Up to this point in the passage, you may have noticed this, we haven't heard from God himself in this whole section. And the accusations against him are just mounting. So how is God going to respond? Well, the first eight verses of chapter six lay out God's response. And verse one starts with a beautiful phrase. A phrase that captures so much of what God reveals about himself. It says in Exodus 6.1, But the Lord said to Moses. But the Lord. Friends, if we were to condense the whole redemptive story of the Bible into three words, we could easily use these three words. But the Lord Because the Bible shows us again and again that the God of the Bible is one who intervenes, who breaks into the natural trajectory to accomplish his redemptive purposes. And if I had more time this morning, I would go through story after story that we see in Scripture of God's intervention. But let me cut to the heart of it by reminding you of what God says about your own salvation story this morning. Ephesians 2, verses 1 and 3. And I'm going to skip some of its fleshing out so that we can see the big picture here. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 says this, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, and were by nature the children of wrath like the rest of mankind. What's next? Verse 4. But God, but the Lord, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in the trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Friends, as we look at this, And we find hope in this. We see even in his response that God turns to addressing Pharaoh's claim, to reminding Moses of who he is 
and then to addressing Israel on what he will do for them. So we see he says to Moses in verse 1, But the Lord said, Now see what I will do. Pharaoh may have thrown the first punch, but God is on the move here. And just like Moses' shepherd's staff turning into a snake in chapter 4, Pharaoh's own arm of opposition will be turned to accomplish the very redemptive purposes of God. And the second thing we see here is what we see in God addressing Moses in verse 2 to verse 5. We see God restate who he is to Moses. It starts in verse 2 with God restating his name. He says, I am the Lord. We see in these eight verses, three times God repeats his name, I am the Lord. We see it here in the beginning of his address to Moses. And then in verse 6 and 8, as the first and last phrases of God's address to the people of Israel. God is the existing one. The same God who spoke to Moses is the God who made a covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And the existing one is the one who is unchanging. His covenants have not been forgotten, as he restates in verse 4. His compassion for the suffering of his people has not been forgotten, as he restates in verse 5. He is unchanging. But he does indicate to Moses that he is revealing himself to Israel here in a deeper way. So look at verse 2 and 3 with me. It says this, God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. The statement here is a bit tricky to figure out the meaning here because at first glance, it seems to be saying that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob did not know God as Yahweh, as the existing one, the name used here. However, as we look at the book of Genesis, we see the name Yahweh used frequently. So it would seem to be something, it would seem instead to be saying something not about knowing the name, but about their understanding of God's name, an awareness of God's name. What this seems to be indicating is that God is revealing himself to Moses and to Israel at this time in a way that is deeper than what the patriarchs experienced. What's different here? Well, the primary experience of God in Genesis was that he was a promise-making God. He showed his power to them. He promised a future to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and they all looked forward to it um, without themselves seeing the accomplishment of it. But now, in the life of Moses, God is going to show himself as the God who keeps his promises. God's character is unchanging, and his commitments are unchanging as well. And we see this in verses 6 through 8. God tells Moses to speak to Israel by reminding them of his commitments to them. And he does this with seven powerful I will statements bookended with the name I am. So look at verses 6 and 8 with me. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians 
and I will deliver you from slavery to them. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Friends here, the I am restates his purpose, promises to Israel with seven powerful I will statements. He will deliver them just as surely as he exists. And it's important to notice that none of these things are new promises to the Israelites. Instead, God is reminding Israel of what he has already promised to them. And Philip Ryken here makes an insightful observation about the kindness of God in giving us reminders like this. He says, when God repeats things, it's because we need to hear them more than once. So much of the Christian life consists of being reminded of what we already know so that we can apply it to each new situation in life. When troubles come, we need to be reminded that God is still God. He is the God of history. The very same God who promised salvation to Abraham and brought Moses out of Egypt. Like Moses, we need to be reminded that God knows what we are going through and that he fully intends to keep every promise he has ever made. So what do we do with this? What this passage shows us is that when we are in the midst of difficulty and doubt and discouragement, what we need is to be reminded of God's character and God's commitments. And we need help from him to rely on his unchanging nature in this. Our circumstances never change who God is. But until Jesus returns, we live in a constant state of waiting for the fulfillment of God's promises. And this is a major theme in the whole book of Exodus. Friends, the Bible shows us that waiting for the Christian is not a passive action. Waiting is work. We seek to obey God with the next steps, even as we do not yet see the fruit coming fully to bloom in our lives. Waiting is war. Our waiting becomes a fight where we have to remind ourselves of who God is and trust his character and his word even when circumstances seem to contradict them. And waiting is worship. Our waiting becomes a time of walking with the Lord in prayer and reliance on his word. A time of worshiping him for who he is even as we wait. Friends, as we come to a close this morning, we look at the last four verses of the passage and they really don't end in the way we expect. It says in verse 9, Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. So the Lord said to Moses, go in. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the people of Israel go out of this land. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, 
the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. Friends, this passage doesn't end with where we would expect. Moses is still completely doubting what God will do based on his ineffectiveness so far. Israel is so broken down that they can't even hear God's words of hope. And as we see this passage end here, we would do well to ask this question. What is going to ensure that God is really going to deliver the Israelites in this passage? Because as we look here, Israel has no belief that God is actually going to do this in this moment. And Moses has no confidence that he's going to be able to, to do what God is telling him to do. It's a wonderful reminder for us of this. God's deliverance here was not dependent on human belief or ability. If it was, his deliverance would never happen. Moses and the Israelites don't have enough confidence or strength of belief or will of obedience to accomplish anything. It is only because of the merciful character of God that, his, that this redemption will happen. Friends, this is the gospel. Because there is no amount of belief, there is no measure of obedience, and there is no mighty act of confidence that we could do that would be enough. We are the doubting Israelites. We are incapable of saving ourselves. We need God to be our deliverer. We need God to give us belief and faith in the moments when we doubt. So friends, wherever you are this morning, as we close, may you look to God. May you look to the deliverance that God has given in Jesus the entire arc of the Bible shows us that this unbelief of the Israelites and this, this doubt in God's goodness just carries all throughout. And so when we get to the end of old, the Old Testament, there's another 400-year period of waiting. And then we see our deliverer come in Jesus Christ. God coming again and intervening where there was no other way. Sending his son Jesus to break into the course of history. To live in the righteousness and faith and confidence in God that we will never have on our own. And the mighty hand of God that stretched out to deliver the Israelites from their slavery in Egypt for us was then stretched out on the cross. So that we would be forgiven of our sin by him taking on our punishment. The God that is intervening on Israel's behalf has not changed today. As we look to Jesus and what he has already done for us, we can hope that he will make good on his promises for us in the future. Amen? Amen, Amen friends. Let's pray together.